Hello, and happy start of the week for our listeners. This is Neil from Grassroots Security. How did it go for you, Carrie? I was trying to make sure I did not get blown away by the wind. It was very windy, wasn't it? It feels like summer is over, though admittedly, we really only had a few weeks of good summer weather. Winter is coming. I am sure that it is autumn that is coming. Yes, but they are nearly the same here. True. The four seasons of Ireland always include rain. It is just a matter of how cold that rain is. But going back to the wind, you need not worry anyhow because of your weight. Are you saying that I am heavy? Well, you are made of metal. You are no spring chicken yourself. Okay, I deserve that. As usual with the disclaimer, the opinions here are my own and relying on any information from this podcast is at your own risk. Now on with the show. Last August 19, Reuters reported that the South African arm of Experian, which is a credit bureau, is investigating a data breach where it handed information to a suspected fraudster. An individual has been identified pretending to be a legitimate client that requested services from Experian. The South African Banking Risk Information Center, or SABRIC, also said that personal data from around 24 million South Africans and almost 800,000 businesses had been exposed. But an experienced spokesperson said the SABRIC statement was incorrect but did not provide further details. Does not compute. A media statement from Experian also mentioned no consumer credit or consumer financial information was obtained. It mentioned it was able to obtain and execute an Anton Pillar, which is basically legal speak or court order, allowing for searching premises and seizing evidence without prior warning. The legal process is ongoing right now. Did they do anything right? Personally, I believe Experian follows some good practices on the handling of this incident, and some that may not have been executed well. The positive is that they engage with the relevant authorities as well as relevant public and private partnerships like Sabric to quickly identify the fraudster. They also mentioned what the initial cause was, basically someone pretending to be a client, and provided a media statement. As part of the media statement, the Experian Africa CAO, Ferdy Peters, and apologies if I mispronounce the name, also apologized for the inconvenience caused. I would have pronounced it as Petersa. Okay, I don't know which one is correct. Anyhow, at least there was a bit of empathy with the apology, and they also provided some advice on what to do due to this incident. So is this considered hacking? I understand that during an interview with the Money Show of Bruce Whitfield, Ferdy Peters mentioned they were not hacked, and a number of security professionals have been disputing this statement. But it all boils down to one's definition of hacking. The attack was a successful social engineering and fraud, so if your definition of hacking excludes or includes social engineering or fraud, then you know what the answer is. Honestly, there are bigger issues to address than trying to argue whether this falls under hacking or not. There also seems to be a number of inconsistencies. Yes, which is why I am curious about a number of things. One, why is there a difference between what Sabric is mentioning on the personal data records compared to what Experience believes it to be? Experian did not mention anything on the number of records on their media statement, but in the same media statement, they did mention they have engaged Sabric about it. So why did Sabric disclose the number of records exposed instead of Experian? 
I do not know what the agreement is in place from a non-disclosure perspective, but I believe notification of the number of records exposed should come from the company that experienced the incident and not from another party. And why did the Experian spokesperson dispute the statement but did not provide further details? I suspect that Experian may have provided an estimated number of records exposed to Sabric as part of their engagement but are not yet ready to stand by it if they are still in the middle of an investigation, especially if they only recently seized the equipment of the suspected individual. 2. If the Sabric statement is true and that the individual was able to get those information, then you have to question the following. A. What controls were in place when a legitimate customer is requesting for information? It would have been unusual for a single customer to request for records of millions of people and hundreds of thousands of businesses. It should have triggered some type of additional control if the volume requested is greater than what is normally asked. B. If indeed controls are in place, then it means that the people processing the request may not have followed the control process. Again, the above are speculation on my part. Interesting. Can organizations learn from this? Even though that it is still early, there are a few lessons learned that you may apply within your organization. 1. Ensure you have the necessary controls in place to handle potential social engineering or these types of requests. In this case, the volume of information requested may have been unusual, so some additional checking should have been made. Also, verifying the legitimacy of the request would have been necessary by contacting the customer using contact details they have on their system and not through the method used for social engineering. 2. Always have a security incident process defined and tested. It should also include external communications, especially when you will need to report it to the media and other parties. Typically, your organization should be ready with a number of templates based on a number of scenarios as well as follow-ups to those scenarios. You should also consider how often you will be putting out external communications depending on the severity of the incident. But whatever it is, your organization should know how to close the external communication after an incident. 3. If you are using a third party in relation to the incident, whether you are using a public-private partnership or a commercial organization, ensure that you have the appropriate non-disclosure agreements in place. Also ensure that your communications are agreed upon in advance. What this means is that A. Who are authorized to provide a media update? Let us say, in this case, Sabrik and Experian Africa agreed to provide a joint press release. B. What are the information agreed upon from a media update? What you want to avoid is providing information that was not agreed upon, providing incorrect information, or providing different sets of information like what happened in this case. That is it for this episode. I hope this has been useful. I wish everyone a wonderful week. Slán Gafal. Sayonara. Take care and keep safe.